Our Father in heaven, we just thank you for this afternoon, for um, each person that's here. And as we share a little bit about how uh, Todd and I have uh, learned how to pray with our patients, I just pray that that would be helpful um, for each one here to uh, also learn a way that they could begin a spiritual conversation with their patients. So I just pray that you would be honored, that we would learn principles that come from your throne, and that you would bless each speaker and each participant this afternoon in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's gonna, Todd's going to go ahead and get us started. So I've um, kind of switched up my presentation from the last couple of years. I don't, some people, anybody been to this before? Probably not so far. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with this statement. Success in any line demands a definite aim. So we're here to talk about praying with patience. And oftentimes when we decide we want to do something, we say, well, how do I go about doing it? Right? How can I actually apply this? And then we, we try to gather information so we can become more effective at it. And then we, uh, we see if we have enough motivation to continue, right? If, we, if it's really rewarding or not. But I'm going to suggest that we might look at this in a, in a little bit of the reverse. That is, let's first examine, well, this is how we do it, application, information, and motivation. But in order to be on target, our motivation has to be um, be there, right? And the right motivation. When we set out to accomplish something, it requires planning. If you're going to build something like this, you have to plan. Now, this building was built from the top down. Did you know that? This is in Petra. And when they carved these, they had to start at the top and carve their way down. That's the only other way it could do it. But in, in our case, we want to start at the foundation and build up. So let's evaluate and settle our motivation. Why? Well, how many people here would like to, are thinking about, would like to pray with their patients? Yeah. Okay. Why? Why do we want to do that? What's the, what's the motivation that we have? Um, do we love our patients? Do we know that we've been loved? And so we want to share that, and, and prayer is an expression of we bring God into the equation, and his love for us now applies in them. Um, talked a little bit last night about identity. Can we identify with our patients in their needs, in our own need? That is, we know that prayer has blessed us, and so we want to bless them. Uh, do we do it as part of the healthy respect and awe that we have for the Lord? Because we know that he's all-powerful, he can do all things, and he can help our patients. And is this a motivation that will last? Because in order to, to keep practicing something, it has to be something that will last. Here's a motivation. What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the sons of God? We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. So here's a test. Do we really appreciate the love of God? Is that flowing out of us to others in our practices? You know, we can pray because we think we have an obligation to pray, but that's not really going to last. If we really care for our patients, then it will last. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God's promise is a promise of a new identity for our patients. So one of the reasons we pray with our patients is we want the Holy Spirit to come and influence the situation. We want him to indwell us and give us 
wisdom so we do the right thing for our patients and we want him we want our patients to have that sense that God is there wanting to walk in them and dwell in them as it says in 2 Corinthians 6 16 we want them to become to recognize the power of a new identity and uh, this is a slide from what we presented last night identity matters and the science uh, social science is uh, pointing that out today the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom the knowledge of the holy is understanding you know we can plan and try and avoid complications we can try and make the best decisions but if we don't have the Holy Spirit there with us guiding us um, we'll make more mistakes than we would otherwise of course the fear of the Lord tendeth to life and he that hath it shall abide satisfied he shall not be visited with evil so a healthy fear and something that's enduring as we talked about um, the seeds that we're planting that we want to plant in our patients minds in terms of bringing um, their awareness of God's involvement in their life to the table is something they we want them to have a root in themselves um, and when you have someone who is caring for you who's a professional and they're really good at what they do and they they bring something to bear in the equation the the people that that have that type of ministry or that receive that type of ministry that influence will endure with them I've had patients who come back and tell me what prayer has done in their lives thank you so much for praying for me here's the change that's happened people have quit smoking quit drinking changed their lifestyle become uh, vegetarians or vegans they've started exercise programs and there are now well it's now almost an expectation I've had patients get offended if I forget or I don't I don't uh, pray for them some as, as they expect so some research is there on prayer as part of health care I don't know how many of you are aware of this book but it's actually uh, Dr. Keenig has been out of Duke I assume he's still there this is the third edition of his book and I would encourage you to buy this I have the second edition uh, in my library spirituality and patient care why how when and what here's my point use the information or you know this is an acronym for you know you want use in, usable information so that's why I used to use here something that's understandable so to understand why we should pray with patients the support that's there then you know avail yourself of the literature that's actually available it should be something understandable and doable and hopefully and when we get to the end of this session you'll feel like this is something you could do um, also the S stands for safe that is if you go in and you just assume that every patient is going to appreciate you praying for them and you, you come in with you know forceful thing I'm gonna pray for you now that may not be safe in their situation you don't know where they're coming from so it takes time to get a rapport with the patient what is their interest level what's their level of spirituality and uh, Keenig's book he Keenig actually deals with this in his book you know where <coughs> Uh, spiritual interventions like prayer can be harmful if they're just done uh, roughshod like that so it needs to be a nuanced thing where we actually find out where the patients are at but it's actually very effective which I'll show you um, in a moment so realize what's effective 
in your practice and build build on what works there. So understandable, safe, and effective. And I think this book is a good resource. So I don't know if you can read this or not. I, in um, previous years, I've um, put some information that he had in his book. But this is actually, I just went online and Googled prayer in medical practice. And here's two research articles, one out of South America, where they're looking at cancer patients and showing that praying and belief in the efficacy of complementary alternative medicine, that is in prayer, correlated significantly with overall better quality of life. Uh, and here's one out of the Middle East. Um, this is out of uh, Iran at the Medical Center of Isfahan University. Similarly, working with cancer patients, a positive effect of praying and supplication on the life quality uh, patients. So there's, on probably every conf, uh, continent, there's evidence that prayer is important, certainly prayer is important in most cultures. And, um, but our best resource, of course, is Christ our example. And we know that he prayed <coughs> daily, prayed for his disciples, uh, prayed for us, those who would believe after them. And I like this quote, why should the sons and daughters of God be reluctant to pray when prayer is the key and the hand of faith to unlock heaven's storehouse where are treasured the boundless resources of omnipotence? I believe this to be true. I've actually had um, patients tell me, actually it was someone I was working with. I'm working in a couple of different locations. And one of the... Um, the medical assistants that works with me, um, he was telling a patient that he believed I had a lower complication rate because I prayed with patients. And I, you know something? I believe that's true. Yes. Well, I'd recommend Keening's book because he takes a very uh, a studied approach to that. And, and there are, you know, a good study has control subjects. Some people are prayed for and others not. They did some on the cardiac unit with, with um, you know, people who've had MIs and their outcomes. And the patient's actually being blinded to who's being prayed for. Some of those studies are there. Brian, you may be familiar with some of those um, as well. So there are controlled studies in that respect. Now, anything that's, you know, prayer, what is prayer? Is it, um, you know, a Muslim chant in Iran for someone is it a Buddhist prayer for you know they've they've studied Buddhist prayers they've studied you know Christian pray, prayer and all that so um, that's one aspect of it is the research you know and actual studies you can say there's clinical evidence that points this direction the other is sociological these two are more sociological these people felt they had a better quality of life because someone was paying attention to their spiritual needs and that's an important outcome as well because quality, as defined by the patient, is what's driving some of the reimbursements in healthcare or will be in the future, right? So um, just being aware of patients' um, own needs, their desires, their own belief system, okay? We're not here to twist people's arms to believe something differently. We'd certainly encourage them if it's something we believe is helpful to their, to their life. Um, 
So the next thing then, we've, we've looked at motivation, um, we've looked at usefulness of good information. So how do we start applying these principles? So um, I would encourage you to look to transform your practice by making a start in this area. So I'm using another acronym. I apologize for all the acronyms sometimes in the profession we get carried away with acronyms and maybe that's the case but um, you'll, I think you'll agree. Find something simple to do. Don't view this as a huge mountain. Um, Brian, um, Dr. Schwartz actually was praying with his patients before I did. In fact it was his talk on praying with his patients that inspired me to think well I could try this. And there was a, there was a psychological barrier to it. You know, it's like a hurdle. How do I go about this? But I just started with something simple, you know, ask the person, you know, do you have any belief in a higher power who can help or something like that? And if they do, hey, may I pray for you? Um, and then look for, as you evaluate what you're doing simply, see, see what is actually transformative. You'll get feedback. Patients will be excited. Um, or they'll be telling their friends and someone will come and say, oh, I hear, I hear you prayed for so-and-so and I want you to do that for me. So when you actually see changes starting to occur, that's also encouraging and tells you that you're on the right track. Set goals that are achievable. So do, you, do, I, do I want to pray with every patient? Well, that's probably not achievable because not everybody's going to want that, right? Some people are agnostic or atheist or what have you, or they might find it offensive. I had an um, atheist show up in my office and um, I have a particular form, which I'll show you in a minute, that I use to start the conversation with patients on, the, on the, not just prayer, but also on lifestyle and some other issues. And uh, he didn't even want to talk to me until he talked to me about this form. It's like, I don't want to fill out this form, you know? Why are you, you know, you said, look, I'm just trying to find out where people are coming from. You're an atheist, that's fine. I'll treat you like anyone else. I'm not gonna you know, do anything different for you clinically than I would. But now I know where you're coming from, so it's all fine as far as I'm concerned. So no need to get in an argument or anything. It's just, it's, it's fine. So something achievable. Find something or apply this in a way that's rewarding for you and your patients. It, you should see, you should feel those rewards. You should feel the patient's appreciation uh, for it. And then share it with someone else. Tell someone else. That's how what happened. Uh, inspired me to, to start praying with my patients is Brian telling his stories of, and he'll tell you some of these uh, in a moment here as well. So share it because actually when we speak something, when we share what's happened and the encouragement of it, then it encourages others to consider the same. So here's the form that I actually use in my office and I think it was Dr. David DeRose who actually pointed out this study and I thought it was, it's actually just a survey from the NIH of patients in 2002, so when they did this, this survey, um, and they surveyed people to see what complementary and alternative therapies they were uh, interested or using in, or they were actually using in their, to help their health. And so you see the top two are prayer, prayer for my own health, prayer by others for my health. Um, and then down there, the fifth one is um, participation in a prayer group. Meditation is probably related. So out of the top six, pretty high percentage that involves some type of prayer or meditation. Um, 
you have natural products, deep breathing, you have yoga, chiropractic. Of course, I don't necessarily prescribe or recommend um, all of these, but this tells me where people are coming from, and then diet-based therapies. So I actually broke it down to what find out what patients have used, what they are using, and what they might try. So if they're willing to fill out this form, I can kind of get a sense of where they're at in terms of where I can interact with them, not only on their prayer level, but also on lifestyle if I want to give them some good information there. So if anybody wants this, I'll be happy to email it to you. Just let me know afterward. Um, this data is taken from 2012. It's a few years ago, but I would say that it still roughly approximates what happens. I went and pulled my charts because I actually, if I want to pray with a patient, what I like to do is I want to know if they're amenable to that right when I meet them. I want to see where they're coming from first time I meet them. Once I find that out, I make a notation in the chart. Now it's in the electronic medical record. I just put a little P in one of the, basically the social history fields that's enduring in the medical record, you understand? And so the next th time they come in, I can just scroll there. I can see it's a P or it's an NP or it's a P with a parenthesis and a J and N parenthesis. You know what that is? That's a Jehovah's Witness. And I'll pray to Jehovah in Jesus' name. And for most Jehovah's Witnesses, that's perfectly acceptable. So you can find out about people's spirituality and their prayer needs. So on an average day, I'll pray with 85% of more of my patients as a routine part of their medical care. So you can see the prayer or no prayer uh, breakdown from that particular chart review I did. So what do I pray for, for my patients? Well, I pray that God will provide power for desired lifestyle changes such as stopping smoking or improving diet. People realize that, you know, motivation for them is a big issue. Their, their own, you know, who am I? Who, what do I want to, how do I want to behave? What, what actually motivates me? And so God will provide that power for them. And there are stories of that. Um, just within the last month, I had someone tell me that they had quit smoking and uh, it was tied to this effect. I pray that God will provide for the needs of patients' family members if they have, and the patients will often stop me before I pray and say, well, hey, could you pray for my daughter? She's having this surgery, and by all means, you know, include that in the prayer. So it, it basically involves it as a family uh, or a wider activity. I pray that God will bless the outpatient treatment recommended or provided. That is our treatment plan. I ask the Lord to guide and direct in that. And certainly, if there's any surgery, I'm a surgeon, orthopedic surgeon, so I want any surgery to go well. And when I pray in the office, I find it uh, much more uh, conducive to a thoughtful reflection time and appreciation than right before surgery when people are being wheeled back or in the outpatient area and, and there's a big um, disturbance going on around them. It's hard to necessarily get that time. So I find that useful. What are some of the blessings that have come from this? Um, I found for my own self that I, I tend to have a better attitude with difficult patients because especially if I prayed with them before I know I'm going to pray for them again and I can't get too bent out of shape because I'm going to pray for them at the end of the visit so it helps it helps center my own uh, experience and my own um, identity and motivation and the hospital chaplain has frequently given positive feedback regarding surgical patients. He'll go to pray with the patients and say, oh yes, Dr. Guthrie prayed with me in the office and it was such a blessing and yes, pray for me. And so he gives me all kinds of positive feedback and most hospitals do have some chaplaincy programs. So to identify 
those patients and encourage them ahead of time with prayer makes the chaplain's job easier and as a witness to him as well or her. Um, and the, the pastors in the community of course know that some of them actually are my patients and so I pray for them and there's a community effect there's actually awareness that develops in the community that prayer matters in this practice and people have an appreciation of that you know I was surprised I live in Northern California and it's kind of a secular area there's some you know new age uh, type things going on Buddhism and people that have no religion um, but 85% of my patients are okay with me praying with them you know some most are excited about it or they're very happy with it and um, Buddhists I don't know if you're familiar with Buddhism but Buddhism is pretty eclectic in um, what it will accept and so most Buddhists will accept prayer from anyone so just because someone's a Buddhist don't feel uh, restricted because if you offer to pray for them they'll most likely accept that and then prayer of course is a bridge to sharing other materials and information if someone's very open and warm to prayer and you can see that the Holy Spirit is there and there's a response you can gauge people's faces and their their response then if there are other problems you can enter into that just um, two weeks ago or so I had a gentleman who was in tears in my office just severely depressed and so I spent probably 30, 30 minutes in addition with him just breaking down for him what things could be done for his depression lifestyle uh, praying for him and doing a little cognitive behavioral therapy there in the office you know evaluate your thoughts are you really thinking accurate thoughts and uh, and then he's a Christian so you know obviously praying for the Lord to provide the thought patterns that would help him as well so anybody know where this is Brian does that's the pool of Bethesda so Christ's healing ministry um, is to be effective for everyone he'd like to heal all he wanted to heal everybody at this pool but we should through prayer be interested in our own patients not only their physical outcomes but their spiritual outcomes um, as we ask them if they want to be made well we should offer to them prayer as part of that equation all right well also again good afternoon everyone and um, just a couple of simple points and then I'll go through some uh, illustrations so why pray why pray with patience I could give you an actually very cynical reason why all of you should do this um, it makes the patients think that you care about them beyond just doing medicine. It helps you get done with the appointment faster. They feel like they get better care. Um, and they refer all their friends and family and church members back to you. And so they're, for that reason alone, <laughs> you could uh, make the argument to pray. But those aren't the good reasons to do it. So I think there's some powerful reasons to do it. Todd. Uh, went over these in detail. I'm just going to do this again real quick. But again, it imparts hope and a divine healing. So we all believe that there is a true source of healing. We're, not the, we're really not the ultimate healers. True healing comes from God. And so like Don McIntosh said this morning, if we were giving people a list of things to do, but we don't point them to the power to make those changes, that's a very legalistic approach. So it points to the divine hope for healing. 
There's only one true source of healing. That helps keep in perspective uh, myself and keeps me humble. And it goes beyond what is expected. And it opens the door to a spiritual conversation. And so that's really what this is all about is there are other ways you can open a door to a spiritual conversation. You could just focus purely on health and, and little by little um, um, introduce them to health outreaches of your church and do that. But by praying, people know you're a spiritual person. So I'm going to give an example of how this uh, keeps me humble. I, one of my partners has a patient who is a Jewish rabbi. He's also a scholar. And um, he came in with a complete heart block. His heart rate was in the 20s. Every time he stood up, he got real dizzy and almost passed out. And he actually came in because he'd passed out. And um, he has some visual problems. He's in his mid to late 70s. And he just said, no way, I don't want a pacemaker. But my partner said, well, I'm going to have Dr. Schwartz just at least come talk to you about it. And I came in and gave him the standard spiel. This is very simple. Pacemaker, we can do it in about an hour. It's going to take care of those problems. It's going to connect the upper chamber of your heart back to the lower chamber of your heart. So your heart will go the natural rate that it's supposed to go. All these good reasons. He says, you know, I've lived a good long life. It's fine. I don't want anything else done at this point. And I said, fine. But I said, but one of the things I offer to do with all my patients is to have a prayer with them. And by the way, that's how I present to people the opportunity to have a prayer. I don't force it on them like... Todd raised as a concern. I just merely offer. One of the things I offer to do, this is now just rolls off the tip of my tongue so easily that I would encourage you to come up with something very similar that just works. You're offering it. You're not forcing it. You're not imposing it on them. You're just making it available. One of the things I offer to do is have a prayer. Is that something you'd be interested in? He's Jewish. He's a Jewish rabbi, but he took my hand. He says, that would be wonderful. And so I said a prayer for him. I just pray the Lord would bless him and give him wisdom and um, bless his family. And at the end, I um, ended the prayer, and he had tears in his eyes, and he looked up at me, and he said, Doc, I'll go ahead and have that pacemaker. And so it's another reason to pray with patients. It opens the door to help them have insight into what they need. Curiously, uh, my wife and I then met with him um, once or twice a year for several years later at a restaurant where we'd had continued spiritual conversations. And we were at Panera one time. I went up to pick up the order, and he was just sitting there talking to Lindy. And he said, you know what I, what I really thought when your husband came in? And he, and, he, and, he, and he said this prayer for me, and this is what he told his wife. He, told his, he went home and told his wife. He said, no, he said, praise God, I found a doctor who doesn't think he's God. And, <laughs> and based on that alone, he was willing to entrust himself for me to go ahead and put a pacemaker in. And so... That's uh, an interesting thing. Another story talking about opening a spiritual conversation. So one of the things about being physicians is we have access to people of all walks of life. Um, I have Fortune 500 people that live in gated communities, fly around in their private jets, and I would never see them apart from seeing them in a medical practice. And so that's one of the benefits of being in the, the fields that we're all in, in the medical field. We see people that might be homeless to people that fly around in their private jets and everybody in between. Well, one of my patients is the chief of the fire department of one of our towns. Um, pretty big, tough guy. He works out all the time. He doesn't seem like he'd be afraid of anything. Um, he's getting ready to have an aortic valve replacement surgery, and I wasn't doing the surgery back then. But um, I met with him before he went back for surgery and just said, well, one of the things I offer to do is have a prayer. Would that be okay? And he just was like, oh, doc, yeah, I'm kind of scared. So... He took my hand, and I prayed with him, and 
actually that same time, two, two curtains down, another patient asked the nurse if that doctor could come over and pray with them. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I don't know you, but sure, I could come do that. <clears throat> but um, and this is in an SDA hospital where we have a lot of chaplains. But um, they were... Um, they were all open to that. So I prayed with him. We talked for about five or ten minutes. And he's getting ready to come back. He says, Doc, I'm so scared. Could you pray with me one more time? And that's all I did. I had two prayers with him. I see this guy now in the office um, every year um, since his aortic valve replacement. We usually uh, listen to him, make sure everything's okay, and just check it. And uh, two or three years went by. Um, this, he, he uh, big, tough guy. He doesn't go to church. Um, but all of a sudden, on the third visit, three years down the road, he just said, Doc, at the end of the, almost the end of the day, I had two patients to go. He's in the room. They're quick visit, 10 minutes, in and out, ready to say goodbye. I had a prayer with him. As he's, one of the things I offered to do is have a prayer. And he was like, oh, yeah, that'd be great. And then getting ready to walk out of the door, he goes, Doc, can I ask you a question? And I said, oh, yeah, sure. He says, well, you're a spiritual guy. Um, why um, do you believe um, in the Bible? Why do you believe the Bible's true? Well, this isn't a 10-minute discussion. <laughs> 45 minutes later, my nurse is knocking on the door like, you got two more patients. Um, but what I realize about that, if you live your life in a spiritual way where people know you're spiritual, he doesn't have a church to go to. He doesn't know friends particularly that he might ask these questions. But he knows that he can come ask his doctor in a safe environment a spiritual question. A year after that, Doc, why do you believe in creation? Another 45-minute discussion. My nurse now puts him at the end of the day. <laughs> so it opens the door of spiritual conversation. Well, that was just my first slide, so sorry about that. But <clears throat> Ministry of Healing, page 118. Wonderful are the opportunities given to the guardians of the sick. We're all guardians of the sick. So in all that is done for the restoration of the sick, let them understand that the physician is seeking to help them cooperate with God in combating disease. Lead them to feel that at every step taken in harmony with the laws of God, they may expect the aid of divine power. They may expect the aid of the divine power. We're supposed to teach them how to cooperate. 90% of the diseases that I see are lifestyle illnesses. It's from people, probably even deeper than just eating the wrong foods. They're probably medicating their psychological problems, their lack of self-esteem, their trust, um, just in our society that's so pressured. Um, there are all kinds of things underneath that that we don't even hardly recognize. And as a doctor, I barely have time to deal with that in today's world. But by pointing them to the true source of healing, they can, they can be pointed to the place of success. Ministry of Healing, page 118. The sick and suffering will have much more confidence than the physician, who they are confident loves and fears God. They rely upon his word. They feel a sense of safety in the presence and administration of that physician. And so just like the Jewish rabbi had more confidence after I prayed with him, um, your patients are going to have confidence in you if they know that you believe in God. And so it's a powerful reason to do that. And one more quote from the Ministry of Healing. Um, so knowing the Lord, it is the privilege of the Christian practitioner by prayer to invite his presence into the sick room. Before performing a critical operation, let the physician ask for the aid of the great physician. Let him assure the suffering one that God can bring him safely through the ordeal, that in all times of distress he is a sure refuge for those who trust in him. The physician who cannot do this loses case after case that otherwise might have been saved. 
If he could speak words that would inspire faith in the sympathizing Savior who feels every throb of anguish and could prevent the needs of the soul to him in prayer, the crisis would often, oftener be safely passed. Now, when I was um, just a few years into my cardiology practice, um, kind of struggling to figure out how to practice medicine, medicine was kind of just a job. I went on mission trips. That was ministry. I was involved with our church with stop smoking clinics and some health work. That was ministry. But work was work. Ministry was ministry. And the two were fairly separated. And I was becoming to feel an emptiness that I needed to do something more. Sadly, having gone through Loma Linda University, I think I remember two times when I saw an attending pray with a patient. I did do a rotation at Wildwood with Dr. David DeRose. And... Um, Wildwood, believe it or not, has an emergency room. And we had one patient that month come through the emergency room. <laughs> he was a guy that had a big uh, laceration just over his, over his temple on the side. He was very hard of hearing, an old crusty guy. Um, I couldn't really remember his name, I was, but I did sew him up. And at the very end, Dr. DeRose said to me, good job, now are you going to do the most important thing? Well, what's the most important thing? <laughs> well, have a prayer with him. Like, uh, oh, uh, yeah, okay, I could do that. And I didn't remember his name. He was very hard of hearing. It was very uncomfortable. And it's like, uh, dear sir, uh, <laughs> Lord bless this person and uh, pray that this will heal up quickly. I didn't have a clue what I was doing, and I was very uncomfortable with that experience. And I left there still very uncomfortable with that experience. And uh, so I was um, just about the time before... Um, the group got together that actually formed Amen. I was in the cath lab. I had a patient that was actually down here at Hilton Head who had a heart attack. She had an emergency stent put in. The doctor from here called me and said, uh, she's going to need probably heart surgery or something down the road. We did this as a very temporizing measure. She had a balloon pump in for a week. She was really, really sick. So we didn't really get a very good result. We just barely got the artery open enough stabilizer. Now that she's coming back up to you, you probably need to recather and get some definitive care. So the, about two months had passed, and now she was in my cath lab. And um, in the cath lab, I work with a bunch of very hip young people who are always into the latest and whatever thing going on in society, and you just feel embarrassed if you were, I just felt embarrassed to talk about spiritual things around them. And um, it's one of my fellows calling, that's okay. Um, you just would feel kind of embarrassed. But I had this lady on the cath lab table. We went ahead and did the catheterization. We put the catheter in the left main. The catheter just blocked all the flow going into her left main corner artery where her blood pressure just tanked immediately. We got one quick picture, and the left main was just hanging on by a thread. Pulled that catheter back out. We were trying to give her some meds to stabilize her, and we realized we need to get her into the OR as fast as possible. So the OR team comes over. There's about... 20 people in the cath lab now, as well as my usual five or six cath lab people. They're all hustling around to get everything done. And the anesthesiologist walks in. He comes in and talks to her a minute. And he says, wait a minute, everybody, can I have your attention? Just be quiet a minute. I'm going to have a prayer with this patient. And uh, he said a prayer with her. And I was just standing there watching. My cath lab team was standing there watching. And then afterwards, they were like, wow, did you see what he did? That was really cool. And I just went, ugh, Wow. I was feeling like I'm going to be embarrassed to do this, and they thought that was cool. It just stabbed me in the heart that, that I needed to know how to do that. But I was still very uncomfortable learning how to do that. And so it was shortly after that that 
at kind of the preliminary of the amen, a group of us got together at Cahutta Springs, and Pastor Mark Finley was there, and he um, went through a series of presentations on how to ask patients permission to have a spiritual conversation, and one of the things that he encouraged us to do was to pray. So I left there determined that I'm going to start praying with some of my patients. And it wasn't real easy, but based on the language he taught me, it was don't presume, don't force it on them, just ask. And so I always ask, one of the things I offer to do with all my patients is I have a prayer. Would that be okay? And just by doing that, I would pick the people that I thought would probably be spiritual, the ones that I thought would be open to it, and uh, I was just amazed at the response. People would grab my hand, they would get tears in their eyes, they would say, no medical person has ever done that. And the response was just overwhelming. And to this day in 10 years, now I don't live in Mount Shasta, I live in the Bible Belt, but we have people from all over the world, Hindus, atheists, Muslims. Um, to this day, I have still about 10 patients in 10 years that have said they'd rather not. And just like Todd, I make a little P or no P in the notation of my chart. So I don't always hit them up over and over and over again with the same thing. So just based on that, um, I would forget who I had prayed with and who I wouldn't. And pretty soon, people that I forgot to pray with were getting upset that I didn't pray again. And then pretty soon, I had to just extend this to all my patients. One of the things I learned early on is that it's actually the patients that I had judged as probably the least likely interested in spiritual things that appreciated it the most. And so um, one of my patients, um, a guy named Billy. Billy is in his 70s. He's antisocial. He comes in with a, usually wears a t-shirt with the sleeves cut off. He's got a few tattoos. He looks really rough, and he's got a mohawk. Can you picture a six, seven-year-old guy with a mohawk? He's, he's probably at home sitting on his computer as a computer hacker because he's just totally antisocial. And um, Billy is completely agnostic. But Billy, one of the things I offer to do is have a prayer. Is that something you'd appreciate? Well, that works for you. That's okay. So, well, it does work for me, so okay, I'll have a prayer. <laughs> so I said a prayer, and he was okay with that. His wife got tears in her eyes. His wife actually works at the hospital back then, and, and uh, two visits later, she stopped me and said, I just want to thank you for having prayer with my husband. She said, nobody has ever treated him with that kind of respect. Uh, he saw that as respect. Now Billy comes in, and he um, expects me to pray with him. Um, about a year ago, I was walking through uh, um, Sam's Club, and uh-oh, there's Billy over there in the, in the electronics department. And you know what? Normally, it's like, oh, there's Billy. He's antisocial. He's really weird. It's always a weird conversation. I'm going to go the other way. But no, nope, well, the Holy Spirit said, you've been praying for Billy. You better go over and talk to Billy. So I went over in the Sam's Club, talked to Billy. And, uh, hey, Billy, how's it going? And he's like, oh, yeah, well, how are you doing? And he's Doc, you're a really smart guy. Why in the world do you believe in creation? And here in the Sam's, Walt, uh, Sam's uh, Club, we have about a 15-minute discussion about the Bible and why I believe it's true, about creation. And uh, he goes, okay, well, that's all right. And off he goes. His wife stopped me at work about three days later, and she just had tears in her eyes, and just, she just couldn't believe that I would go over and even talk to him because nobody talks to Billy. And so he just has their way of reaching people. Billy, um, 
I don't know where he's completely at, but he's now absolutely appreciative of prayer. He would be upset if I didn't pray with him. Um, he kind of looks to me as his uh, pastor, so to speak, I think. He's actually taken materials to read. He's uh, become a vegetarian. Um, and uh, and it's just kind of, he actually looked, his wife says he looks forward to coming to the appointments at our office, which is just amazing because this guy is a reject. But uh, not if you understand it through the gospel principles of what Billy truly can be. And so it's helped me refocus. My, my nurse all the time says, go in there and do your, your magic. These patients come in, they're really upset. They're really a pain. They are just throwing a fuss, and they're not talking to anybody, and they're upset at the office. By the time they come out of the room, she says, I don't know what you did in there. But, and uh, I tell her what I do in there, but she just doesn't believe it. So... Jesus called his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every infirmity. And that's what we're called to do. So back to the ministry of healing. Um, this is the lower part. Patients realize their peril. While they may have confidence in the physician's skill, they know that it is not infallible. But as they see the physician bowed in prayer, asking help for God, they are inspired with confidence, gratitude, and trust to open the heart to the healing power of God. The energies of the whole being are vitalized, and the life forces triumph. You recognize this place, Todd? This is an Ife in Nigeria. I was helping Mark Granzinger take out a spleen that wound up weighing over, over 30 pounds. Um, some people have asked me, well, what happens when you pray for a patient like Todd does, that there'll be a speedy recovery, that they'll heal up quickly, that they'll feel better, and then something goes wrong? I sometimes have patients come into the cath lab who are on the verge of death. I don't have time to go out and talk to their family. We don't have time to even take a history. We just get them on the table, slam a catheter in, get a catheter up, try to get the artery open. And once or twice a year, I have a patient that'll die on the table. Actually, it's turned out that when I go out and tell the family, I'm so sorry we've lost your loved one, but I want you to know something, that just as he got here, I asked him if he'd like me to pray with him, and we had a prayer. Those families hang on to that like nothing else. That the last thing before he died is that he had a prayer. Amen. And it's, 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 yeah, I mean, it makes it a very hard process much smoother and, and uh, actually paves the way to have that conversation. So to the physician, also the Savior's presence is an element of strength. Often the responsibilities and and possibilities of his work bring dread upon the spirit. The feverishness of uncertainty and the fear would make the hand unskillful. But the assurance that the divine counselor is beside him to guide and to sustain imparts quietness and courage. The touch of Christ upon the physician's hand brings vitality, restfulness, confidence, and power. And I absolutely can tell you that I've been in the cath lab stuck up against a wall having no nothing else to do and I'll just pray again Lord give just help me figure out what to do with this patient and there's nothing like that as well as to have the sense that God is blessing you as you work your way through and you see that he somebody will just suggest something or you'll get an impression that hey try this and all of a sudden it works I really do believe that I have less complications because I pray with patients and that they recover quicker um, as a result of prayer and so Acts 5, verses 15 and 16, they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on the beds and pallets that as Peter came by, at, 
by at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Jesus healed people everywhere he went. The whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue out of him, and he healed them all. And like I said at the very beginning, kind of in a cynical way, actually, patients appreciate somebody who cares about them, and they can tell that you care about them when you do something extra with them, like pray. So I, too, pray for them that they'll have a speedy recovery. I wind up praying for their families, their sons or daughters or people that have cancer in their church and different things. And so they'll share these burdens and they, they have a prayer. And uh, it's, um, it's just, uh, again, become an amazing experience to do that. So why did Christ heal disease? Why are we engaged in this endeavor in the first place? Some places he healed everybody in the whole village. So one of the reasons was to dispel the myth that disease is a curse of God. We don't live under that impression to the degree that people did back in Christ's day. They actually believed that if you had disease, you obviously had done something wrong and God was not blessing you. But not a day goes by that I don't hear a patient, a patient's family, or somebody say, why is God doing this to me? And as a result of opening a spiritual conversation, I can point out to them that God's not the one that does this. God isn't bringing this upon them. And in fact, it's God that wants to heal them from their disease. So it's the ability to demonstrate that God hasn't rejected them. And of course, just to relieve suffering was an important thing. So sickness, suffering, and death are the work of an antagonistic power. Satan is the destroyer. God is the restorer. The words spoken to Israel are true today to those who recover health of body or health of soul. I am the Lord that healeth thee. The desire of God for every human being is expressed in the words, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou may prosper and be in health. And uh, that's still very important. And so the book of James asks us to think about, is there any sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And so sometimes people raise questions about praying with patients. What about the ethics of imposing my spirituality on my patients? What about the ethics? And uh, Pastor Finley helped me resolve that, that again, I am not forcing my views on anybody. I am simply asking them if they would like me to have a prayer with them. You might wonder about different religions. Um, At first I was reluctant to pray with different religions. I had um, one gentleman who's a Muslim. He actually was a professor, one of the founders of Wright State University. He's been in this country for over 28 years. And um, he's a, actually, he's a pathologist. And one of the things I offered to do is have a prayer. And he took my hand very respectfully. He said, absolutely. I said a Christian prayer for him in Jesus' name. And at the end, he had tears coming down both sides of his eyes. And he said, Doctor, you have shown me so much respect. I have been in this country for 28 years, and no one has treated me with the respect that you have shown me. All I did was have a prayer with him. I have a partner who is Muslim. He doesn't ever want to go to him. He only wants to come to me because I've taken the time to pray with him. And we've had multiple conversations now about we believe in the same God of Abraham and and in his case, Ishmael. And <laughs> but uh, he brings up these spiritual conversations. He's perfectly comfortable talking about it. 
But the biggest thing he believes is that I respect him because I was willing to share my religion with him, and I allow him to share his religion with me, and it's a, a two-way thing. Um, one of the things is, how do we know what God's will is? If I pray for somebody's healing, how do I know that that's what God's will is? And I would argue that it's always God's will for healing. We do know what God's will is. God's will is that we live abundantly in health. And so we could be absolutely certain. Now, healing may not come today. It may not come in our lifetime, but it may come in the resurrection. But whatever God's timing is, it is his desire that we all be made whole. And it helps us restore the picture of God's character. Ellen White Medical Ministry, page 13, says, Some have asked me, why should we have sanitariums? Why should we not just pray for the sick, that they may be healed miraculously? And I have answered, suppose we were able to do this in all cases. How many would appreciate the healing? Would those who were, were healed become health reformers or continue, got cut off, but or continue in their ways? So Ellen White absolutely sees that we have a work to do not just to restore a perfect picture of God, but to help people get back in touch with the principles that bring good health. And that's what we're supposed to do. So when Christ healed disease, my sister-in-law's laughing at the back. When Christ healed disease, he warned many of the afflicted ones, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. Thus he taught that they had brought disease upon themselves by transgressing the laws of God, and that health could be preserved only by obedience. So it's not just enough for me to pray that somebody um, get cured from heart disease. As a result of my prayers, I pray that they be learn how to come in harmony with God's principles and that God would give them the strength to overcome smoking, to make changes in their lifestyle and their diet and their exercise. And I believe that as a result of praying that prayer, patients have been far more motivated to make those changes. When Jesus, Jesus Christ is the great healer, but he desires that by living in conformity with his laws, we may cooperate with him in recovery of the maintenance of health. Combined with the work of the healing, there must be an imparting of knowledge as to how to resist temptations. Those who come to our sanitarium should be aroused to a sense of their own responsibility in this work. I'm going to skip over that. Um, I'm going to skip over that as well, so for time. So second selected message is Ellen White says that the way in which Christ worked was to preach the word and to relieve suffering by miraculous works of healing. But I am instructed that we cannot now work in this way, for Satan will exercise his power by working miracles. God's servants today could not work by means of miracles because spurious works of healing, claiming to be, be divine, will be wrought. Our work is to bring people back in harmony with principles of healing. <laughs> so, how to pray with patience? Don't presume. Don't presume that you can impose your spirituality on a patient, but ask their permission. Be open to questions. Doc, why do you believe the Bible is true? When people know you're a spiritual person, you don't actually have to go banging them over the head to get their attention. They will actually start coming to you and asking questions. Be open to questions and then be willing to share scripture. So, Praying with patience, I believe, is just the opening door to a spiritual conversation. How do you continue that process? So one of the ways is to be able to, for patients that are going through struggle, is to quote a scripture passage that they can hang on to. There is power in God's word, and so bringing that to the patient can bring, can bring power to that patient. You can tell them, if God is for us, who can be against us? Or whatever you ask in your, his name, it shall be done unto you. 
So my last slide, where does this all lead? Number one, by engaging in the practice of praying with patience, it strengthened my own personal commitment. You can't do this work if you're not committed and connected first to begin with. I believe that beginning to, to begin a spiritual conversation, prayer is just an amazing way to open the door to do that. And so I become convinced that I have to pray with every patient every time if they're willing to have that happen. I already mentioned share the scripture. You can then provide resources. So we have pamphlets. I have some great controversies. I have some other resources in my office. I have a lot of health resources that I give patients. And so I can provide those to them right there. Often I'll direct my patients to other resources. I send them to um, the CHIP program at, my, at our church. I'll send them to the other programs that are going on. Recently we've become convinced that we need to do more and we've started an office Bible study for our patients. We only have a few come. Um, one of the patients that I started praying with, that I got through several procedures, um, got, saw her start making some changes in her diet, and she seemed very responsive. I got her plugged into a CHIP program at our church. Later on, we had some evangelistic meetings, and so I just told her about them. She'd already been to the church, and so she came. And um, Lonnie Meloshenko was holding those. She went through the whole series. Um, she didn't make a commitment quite yet, but... Back when I, back in, at ASI this last uh, August, the week before we went to ASI, she stopped me at church. She had been coming to church since the evangelistic meetings, but hadn't made up her mind. Stopped me at church and said, Dr. Schwartz, when are you going to be in church next? And I said, well, I'll be here the week after ASI. And she said, okay, good, I'm going to be baptized. She would not be baptized unless I was going to be there. And it was just an amazing experience to be able to see patient that you've worked with in the office she's a Greek lady in her 60s um, just to see her change her whole paradigm little by little by little and uh, the Lord would have reached her in other ways but the beginning of that process was because I was willing to ask her one of the things I offer to do with all my patients is to have a prayer with us would that be okay and because of that she was open to all the way to baptism and so prayer is a very powerful thing. Uh, my last little story, I think we've got about five minutes left. Um, I don't do this very often, but one of my patients named Stephen. Stephen um, also was the kind of guy that you wouldn't pick to, uh, to necessarily pray with. He had a bandana on. He had a leather vest on and no shirt underneath. He'd ridden his motorcycle in, and he was a really rough guy. He'd been in the emergency room just uh, about four or five days earlier with severe sharp chest pain didn't actually sound cardiac but as I and we set him up for a stress test and it wasn't cardiac but as I reviewed his risk factors his dad had had a heart attack in his 40s his uncle had died in his 40s of heart disease uh, Stephen was about 350 pounds he was morbidly overweight um, he had diabetes, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, and he smoked two packs per day. He uh, binge drinks on the weekend. He had a very stressful job, and his marriage was falling apart. Stephen was a wreck. And so I said to Stephen, I said, Stephen, do you believe in God? He goes, no, not really. I said, well, that's okay. God believes in you. One of the things I offer to do is have a prayer. Would that be okay? He said, uh, yeah, that'd be okay really rough guy and so I don't normally do this but after I prayed with him I said Stephen you're and I prayed with him the Lord would give him strength to make changes in his life and and that um, that it was good that he was able to come in and that I would pray that the Lord would use that to change his life 
So I prayed with him. And then I said, Stephen, you are on the road to destruction. You do not have heart disease now, but it's only a matter of time where you're going to follow in your family's footsteps. And I just went through one by one. Usually I just pick one or two things to go over with a patient. You need to work on smoking. You need to work on getting your weight down. And I'll give them some resources. I went through every single one of these steps that he needed to do. I told him, I'm not going to ask you to do anything I won't do myself. Usually my patients breathe a big sigh of relief, and then I start rattling off what I do, and they're about ready to pass out. <clears throat> but I went through these things with him, and I didn't see him again for a year. And uh, a year later, my nurse, who likes to jump to conclusions, said, Stephen had his bariatric surgery. And I said, why? She said, no, he's lost over 100 pounds. And I didn't remember that we sent him to bariatric surgery. So I walked in and said, Stephen, did you have surgery? He goes, oh, no, I didn't have surgery. Stephen's weight was down over 100 pounds. His blood pressure was normal. He was no longer diabetic. He had stopped smoking. He wasn't drinking. He was wearing a shirt. He uh, <laughs> looked respectable. And so I said, Stephen, what are you doing? He says, oh. He says, from the time I was in your office last year, I did not smoke another cigarette. I stopped drinking alcohol. I joined a church, a health club. My marriage is better. I'm no longer on diabetes medicine. I don't have high blood pressure. And, he said, and I said, how in the world did you make those changes? I didn't send him the chip. I didn't even, I might have given him a brochure on how to count calories and something on smoking. I didn't enroll him in a five-day plan. He said, well, it's because you prayed for me. Just the power of praying with a patient, that one patient alone shows the power of prayer. Three years or so later, yeah, I didn't need to see him anymore. Three or four years later, we were at what's called a homorama in our area, but where the home builders will build all these magnificent houses, million dollar homes. Um, you buy a, pay a ticket and you'll go through with a crowd of 30 or 40 people and you'll walk through these homes. And so 20 of us walked into this living room of this home and there's this guy dressed up in a shirt and tie, clean cut, looking good. He's supposed to say this home's built by John Brown and it's 12,000 square feet and on the market for $1.8 million. And it's got a home in whatever, it's got everything. So that's what he's supposed to say. And he stops, he looks at me, he does a double take, and I didn't quite realize who he was. 30 people are standing around in the lobby of this home. He says, I know you. Yeah, I'm thinking. And he says, no, I know you. You're my doctor. And he proceeds to tell the whole crowd, this is the doctor that changed my life. He prayed with me. I was drinking and smoking, and I weighed 380 pounds. And because of that, I was able to, I, I'm a vegan vegetarian. He became a vegan vegetarian, by the way, just because I prayed with him. And so it just reminded me of the story of Mary Magdalene. The people that are the down and out, the hardest, and have fallen the worst are the ones that will be the most grateful when we are willing to share our lives and to share the power of the gospel with them. So we got took up our question time. So with that, I think we'll close. Um, Todd, why don't you come up and have prayer? Father in heaven, we're thankful that you care so much for us. Uh, like Peter, we want to claim that promise that you've prayed for us, that our faith would fail not. Help us to pray for our patients more effectively, to minister to them in your love, uh, from a pure, the motivation of a pure heart. And we pray that you'll send your spirit to bless each one here in that ministry. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. 
If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.